21CL Radio. You're listening to the Run Your Life podcast with host Andy Vassar. Hello, everybody. Welcome to my Run Your Life podcast series. I'm very happy. This is one of the um, the, the few podcasts that I do live because most of my podcasts are on Skype. And uh, this podcast was actually supposed to be on Skype. I was going to be in China. And Conrad and his wife Jane were going to be in Toronto. But seeing as I came back to Toronto last week, I have come across the city with my friend Joey Fight to uh, record the podcast live in this beautiful art studio. So my guest is Conrad Leineman, and you'll learn all about him as the podcast goes on. Uh, but I'm just going to have Conrad just give a brief int- introduction into who he is and just a little bit of backstory. Okay. My name is Conrad Leineman. I'm an Olympic beach volleyball player. I competed back in 2000 in Sydney, Australia. And now I run a charity called Can Fund, Canadian Athletes Now Fund. We've raised over $22 million and we give the money directly to our top athletes so they can pay for their travel, food, accommodation, any expenses to represent our amazing country. Yeah. And we're connected through a good friend, Gina. Yes. Gina Mollicone and Andrew. Um, Gina's actually going to be on the show in a couple weeks' time. Cool. So last summer, um, just to give a little more backstory, um, Neela and the boys and I uh, came back to Toronto and we went and spent some time at our, friend's Gina, uh, our friend Gina's house. And Gina was the one uh, that introduced us to you and, and Jane. So we were here a few months ago in, in the summer. Um, but, you know, you guys have such an amazing story. So I wanted to, to record separate podcasts to share that story. But I'd like you just to kind of give uh, more background into your, your past because a lot of the audience listening to this are physical educators and researchers in physical education. So I would like you to just kind of share your, your past, your athletic background and, and what you've done and, and just whatever you want to share, go ahead. Okay. Well, I was always a very active kid. Um, I actually started playing volleyball uh, in grade seven, did not like it had a terrible coach, did not know how to teach us properly. And luckily I went to another school who ended up being, is still to this day, the best high school coach in Canadian history. So I got trained by the best in grade eight. Can you say his name? Rod Bolinski. And um, I sat on the bench. I was one of the worst players on the team. I sat on the bench in grade eight, grade nine, grade 10 and grade 11. Didn't get to play. Wow. And that's one of the things I talked to. I've talked to over 200,000 kids across Canada. And that's a true story. So I did play, not too much. A coach would put me in, I'd make a couple of mistakes, and he would take me out again. Um, but through that process, um, one of the things I look back is I just love to have fun, make it fun for the kids. Um, and being around all my teammates was amazing. And uh, I eventually kind of figured out actually how to spike the ball over the net at the end of grade 11. And then in grade 12, I finally made the starting lineup. 
So it took me a little while. I was a slow learner. But what's and amazing, so I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. I just want to go back. What was your coach's name? Rod Belinsky. So he was a mentor. Oh, yeah. Now, this is what I'm saying. And you, yeah. you talk about your first coach who gave you nothing and, and, and did not inspire you at all. And this is one of the things about our, our network of physical education teachers is that I think what we try to stress in, in the workshops that we deliver and the presentations we give and the speeches we give is that every single teacher is a mentor, you know, and it, they can either disempower young people or empower them. Mm -hmm. So in your situation, that's amazing because yeah. you didn't really get any playing time at all until grade 11. So the person that your coach, your mentor, you were on the bench. But he kept you in the game, uh, you know, physically and, and mentally. So, yeah. so that that I wouldn't was, be talking to you right yeah. now if it wasn't for him. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I, <laughs> and how lucky I am to be with the best coach in Canadian history. Like, that's kind of a fluke. Yeah. But I got trained by the best at a very young age how to do it properly. It took me a little. I was a slow learner, but that's important for all the coaches. Like, even if you're coaching a little kid, like get trained, go to a camp, um, not a camp, but like from a, a better teacher Yes. to learn from them, do it properly because you can bring that information back down to your team and have them skyrocket if, yeah. you, if they're doing the skills properly. It's so important. Did you, so when you got playing time in grade 12, yeah. did your level of play just skyrocket at skyrocketed. that time? Skyrocketed. Like, literally, I could not spike the ball over the net. How tall were you then? I was very skinny. My nickname was Bone Rack. <laughs> I was very skinny. I'm not that big now, but um, very scrawny kid, uh, late bloomer, and stuck with it. And So what did you yeah. do after grade 12? Where did the path so, take you? So then I went to college in Vancouver for one year, and then I went to University of British Columbia for four years. And again, I started right back on the bench again. There was a big team. And in my second year of university, I made the starting lineup. But I was literally, there was 21 guys on the team. I was, I, I think I would rank myself around 21. But I worked my butt off. And I, again, had good coaches. And I always wanted to play. Uh, one of the things I always say, surround yourself with greatness. Being around really great people. And my, the captain of the team, um, Rob Hill, was an awesome volleyball player. And I don't know if you heard this term pepper. Pepper in volleyball is you just bump, set, I've spike. Heard you you call just it earlier, yeah. It's just a warm-up, bump, set, spike. You're just warming up before the match or in practice. And I always wanted to do it with him because he was so good. And the rallies that we could get were just incredible. And my level started to go up because I was surrounding myself as much as I could around him and some of the other really good players we had. And again my level started, it just was crazy how fast I was improving, but again, being around really great people and doing quality, and this is Which really is important, doing too. quality practicing, hitting ball with quality, not just doing it, not Nike, just yeah. doing it, which you're gonna get better, but if you put quality behind what you're doing, again, your level So what's skyrocket. the criteria for, for defining quality in that Well, situation? quality in, a free throw or whatever it is in a free throw in a basketball and you're practicing you just don't grab the ball and just shoot it what do you do you dribble it like one or two times 
Take a deep breath, focus. Quality shot. Yeah. Not just like shooting it randomly, like mindlessly putting quality behind it. Yeah. With focus. Again, level skyrocket. Yeah. So what were the coming out of university, what do you think were your strengths as a volleyball player? Uh, I was an all-round player. The, the thing, so then I went you to have the to national that level. But I, then I went to the national team. Yeah, I got cut because I'm six foot three, and I was going up against six foot seven, six foot eight, six foot nine guys. These guys are huge, big, strong guys. I got cut. I, 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 I don't think I've ever been cut from the team. That was my first. I, that really hurt me. How did you deal with that? Well, I was. I, just, I actually wasn't too too upset because the coaches were beating us up pretty badly. Uh, one guy actually got knocked out during practice and the coach came and hit three more balls at him and he was knocked out. So I didn't really want to be around that environment. It was, that was, I love to work hard. I love to see where I can take my mind and my body, but that was just insane. So I flipped to beach and that was when you were held. Well, I, it was in university. I was started playing beach around 1920. But it was just for starting off, just little tournaments. And then every summer, I would move up the ladder and then started to represent um, nationally, going to all the national tournaments. But I would, my goal was to go to the indoor team. And when I got cut, it's like, and then when I saw the other players too, I'm like, whoa, these guys are massive. Like, yeah. I can't compete with that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and at that time, the, the Beach was just at, in the Olympics in 1996. So then I got to train with Karch Karai. Now, if you don't know that name, Karch Karai is the Wayne Gretzky, of the beach best volleyball. beach volleyball player of all time. He asked me and my beach partner, my hair standing up on my back when I talk about this, to go and train with him before the Olympics in 1996. Right. He won the gold medal. And in an interview, he said, thanks to Conrad and Jody, my beach partner, for helping me prepare and win this gold medal. And we didn't lose a game at the Olympics, but we actually did lose to Conrad and Jody. <laughs> we beat them in practice. Yeah. So that was huge. Like, and then imagine we're but just that, two young yeah, punks coming out. Inspired and we beat the time. gold medalist. Like, okay, we've got something here. And we took that onto the world tour and started to do really well. It's yeah. awesome experience. Surround, again, surrounding Ex yourself. Exactly. With and that kind of got thrown we got lucky with that, but at the same time, surround yourself and to see his professionalism and to see how he trained with quality and his preparation before I was watching him like a hawk. Yeah. And his preparation, it wasn't just, hey, let's go and hit the ball around. No, 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 this was serious training and he's won three gold medals, three. Yeah. Two indoor, three on the beach. Nobody's wow. won more uh, money or tournaments in the world than Karch Karai. Yeah, that's amazing. So another one of my mentors. So um, that, mo again, when you say surround yourself with greatness is a choice. Because within the team... For the most part it is. Like, it, I was going to say with Karch, it kind of got, I got a little bit lucky with that. You got but lucky, but... With, but your, with your, with my partner, with my coaching staff that I have, like you want to have good people around you to support yeah. you. And um, 
you know, if things aren't working, you got to make some changes. And that's, I did do that. I yeah. had to do that throughout my career. You yeah. have to make adjustments. And after, so what led you on the path to the Canadian Olympic team? Uh, like to the Olympics in 2000? Yeah. You know what? It was um, finding a really good partner, the number one thing, with the same goal. My first really good beach partner was more about partying. And that's why I said you have to adjust. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, we're doing really good, but we can do a lot better. But that wasn't his path. His path was different than mine. I, I could see where, hey, we're getting good at this and we're good. But if you're not going to come with me, how I have to find years, somebody else. How many years together? Oh, I was with him for about four years. Yeah. And we were one of the best teams in Western Canada yeah. at the time. And then, but in Canada, I don't know, top 10 or something. Yeah. But then I teamed up with another really good part. My Olympic beach partner, his name's Jody, and he was awesome, and he had the same dream. I want to go to the Olympics. I want to represent Canada. I want to do well on the world tour. And you have to have that aligned. And if I didn't have it aligned, <laughs> I switched and made sure it was yeah. aligned, and we, we qualified. Yeah. This might be a good time to transition over to... Um, so you, you've, you know, when I met you last summer, um, I could have talked to you for hours here last July. When, no, when, well, we can talk hours. Yeah. Um, but that, that idea, you, you began to share kind of your, your, your philosophy and your training philosophy and your coaching philosophy. And yeah. you showed me, people can't see this right now. Maybe I can take a screenshot of it and include it in my, yeah. my show notes. But um, it's, it's kind of a, a, a model of, of coaching um, that you have embraced, right? But if you were to work on, so if we look at beach volleyball players, you're working with the same person, as you said, for four years. So it's a relationship. It's right? a relationship. So exactly. why don't you just um, give a little nutshell glimpse into um, where, how the model originated and yep. then what you learned from it and what you were trained okay, in so specifically. I got, I got brought into this through my beach coach, Brian O'Reilly. Yeah. And he, really quickly, he... he he started to train us and showed up at practice. Okay, guys, what are we doing? I'm like, what do you mean, coach? You're supposed to tell us what to do. <laughs> he goes, no, no, no. What, are you, what do you guys want to work on today? What are you going to do to go from this level to here? What do we need to do? And we designed our, all our practices from then on in. And that was a so complete autonomy, 180. Autonomy. Oh, freedom. my God. It was like, that was, it freaked us out. Like, what are you, are you nuts? No coach has ever even asked us a question. Okay, guys, what should we do? It's like, this is our practice. This is what we're doing. He has coached, you name any sport, to world championships. And I'm not joking. Yeah. I'm talking rugby, cricket, figure skating, beach volleyball, basketball, ice hockey. His two sons play in the NHL. Yeah. And again, his big thing is about quality, putting quality into what you do. So with... He so got if, trained if in had, this. If you had to sum up his core core philosophy or core values, so kind of like my coach or like what he's been trained in the Doctor Glasser. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, but no, sir, your coach. What? How would he sum up? How How would my be, coach sum up? What would be the core values? Like, like you said that your coach came to you and was like, "Okay, what are you going to do?" You know, and put that freedom and autonomy on you. But what would be the core values that he instilled upon? Well, he's all about self-evaluation. He thinks 
nobody should be really telling anybody, even if you're a coach, you shouldn't be telling the kid when he's doing something wrong. You ask the question to the kid, why did you hit the volleyball into the net? And you get the kid to self-evaluate, say, oh, it was too far behind me or whatever. And it's like, yeah, okay, good. So the kid is starting to see the things that he needs to change. The coach doesn't need to tell him. I know it, obviously they need to know the basics, but um, this is really, really important. Having the kid to self-evaluate, not just in sport, but also in in the school system. Brian is a huge believer in nobody should be evaluating. Nobody can evaluate yourself other than yourself. Nobody should be. And um, and he's the most incredible person I've met, Brian O'Reilly. But a certain culture has to be created consistently over time for this to happen. It, and you know what, to be honest, uh, I worked with him for years and very difficult to go through it. But if you're willing to do it, to self-evaluate and ask the hard questions and answer them and what needs to happen to go from here to better, yeah. it's hard. It's yeah. definitely not easy. Yeah, and that's one of the things about teaching uh, is that the very best teachers ask the very best questions and they don't give the answers, right? Yeah. So as teachers, and in, in my role in consulting and working with schools and teachers, and I go in and I observe teachers, and I right away see them ask a question, right? And they think they're doing the right thing, asking, and this is not a hack on teachers listening, not at all, but they think they're asking the right question. Then they give, you know, first of all, that moment of silence they can't handle, you know. So if the silence lasts more than three seconds, then they have to step in and give the answer. And as teachers, we're programmed to do that because we have to maximize the efficiency of the time that we have. Mm-hmm. But it's those moments of silence and, and introspection and, and, and kind of getting kids to reflect. Um, Get which, their wheels spinning. Exactly. And, and then they can figure it out, but you have to be very comfortable with moments of silence. Did he allow those moments of silence and allow you to figure it out, or did he... I think the silence is still happening. You're not just showing yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. seriously... He's running in my head all the time. It's, he's, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. He would ask questions all the time, all the time. He would never say, okay, guys, you need to do this, this, and this. He would say, okay, you lost. Um, what didn't go well? And what are we going to do to improve it? He would never say, this is what you guys need to do. And my partner and I would talk about it and say, okay, well, you should have tweaked this. Okay, next time. Because in beach volleyball, there's no coaching while you're playing. It's one of the. It's like tennis. Tennis, you're on the on the court. In beach volleyball, you're on the court. There's no coaching allowed. If the coach coaches, he's kicked out of the tournament, and I get fined five thousand dollars. Yeah. So when you're on there, that's why the self evaluation part is so important. I need to know when to call a timeout. I need to know what to say to my partner. If I say something to him and he takes it the wrong way. Our performance is going to go down. Of course. Yeah. So you need to. It's a relationship. It's yeah. two on two beach volleyball. Yeah. And knowing their basic needs, and that's why one of the things is yeah. like finding out what makes them tick. It doesn't matter if it's your husband, your wife, even your students. Yeah. Finding out what their basic needs are, 
and finding ways to meet their needs, and they will love you for that. Yeah. One, I'm going so to throw it. Throw it. I, I talked about this study on my podcast a, a few podcasts ago, but there was a uh, the longest longitudinal study in history, 76, 77 years, and it was by a uh, a team from Harvard, and they started it after World War II, and the if I fast forward to modern day, uh, the, the researcher from Harvard uh, Graduate School of Education, his name is Robert Waldinger, and he's a Zen priest, and he has been this lead researcher on, the, on this project for a couple years, and so they're continuing the study, and the study is a study into what makes people happy and productive. That's it, full stop. So over all of these years, they've looked at the most, uh, or the happiest people and the most productive people, what is it that makes them happy and productive? And they have conclusively shown over this whole time period that the happiest people and the most productive people are the ones that focus on relationships first. No matter if it's business, education, whatever industry that they're in and this has huge implications for any business or industry really right so whether it's teaching whether it's sport it's when you focus on relationships that's where you're going to have most success and that's what you're describing so if why don't teach it if the kids are happy they're going to learn more yeah that's the bottom line but that's what Brian says all the time. It's like, he had one teacher say, oh, well then the kids are gonna like me. I'm like, Brian's like, yeah, they're going to like you. <laughs> What's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. Anyway. So why don't you yeah. go into the five, what we talked well, about in pre-show. So if you were to kind of like break down the, yeah, the so model. Like I said, I'm a beach volleyball player, and so I'd have my beach partner, so there'd be two of us, and we went through this right from the start with Brian. It's like, there's five basic needs. We all have them. Loving and belonging, power, freedom, fun, and survival. Those are our five basic needs. And all of us are a different level in each one of them, meaning we're low or high or medium, and that's you to decide, not for me to evaluate you. You decide on where you are. So Brian uses a one to five level. Five, you're high in it, one low. So you would go through each one of them with your beach partner, husband, wife, even the kids in your class and find out where they are. If they're a high power need, which I am, and my beach partner is a high power need, we're gonna have, uh -oh. we're gonna have okay. some issues, yeah. right? And an example with uh, my beach partner, I was, my beach partner was huge and fun. He would be a, if there was a five out of five, he would be a six. And I would probably be around a three. So I was more serious and I was trying to bring more seriousness into him because that's what I, I needed. Yeah. That's not what he needed. And it was not working. And just by doing this little thing, it's like, okay, I need to give him some space to have fun and when he needs to go have fun, let him go out and do whatever he needs to do. And I, I, um, work with him yeah. and allow him to do that. And then he'll come back and acknowledge where I need to be more, I'm serious, okay, now it's time to get serious. Yeah. And then our performance started to go up. 
It was just the simple, those five things is so important yeah. in any relationship. Yeah. And if the relationship isn't there, yeah. it will not work. And in a sport it's like beach different. volleyball, that's huge, right? There's it's no one else to rely on. If, if I get hurt, I either play hurt or we're out of the tournament. Yeah. There's no sub, yeah. no substitutions. So the relationship, it's me and you. Yeah. We need to work together as one, and if we don't, we're gonna lose. Yeah. Yeah. Simple as that. And um, with your, with the, um, the current work that you do is, we'll go into your can fund and yep. the, the work you're doing with the Olympic team. Um, so you support athletes now. Yep. Um, volleyball athletes. Volleyball, basketball. Yeah. And, track and field and you'll go have these discussions well with some of them i yeah. will like if they are if they're open to, to it yeah like if they're hey we're having some issues carter uh, or i'm talking with athletes hey i can come in and if you guys want to have a little conversation i can do that um been trained in nlp it's neuro linguistic programming through gina yeah really powerful stuff to help athletes with phobias and can't sleep at night or they're going to get sick before they're Competing, there's little things that you can do yeah. um, to relieve that so yeah. they can perform. Yeah, and that's one of the big things. Like I shared to you earlier, I don't want to get. It's kind of long to go through it, but yeah. it's the timeline therapy. Yeah, it's going into the future and well, no, you setting can, you that. Can up. that. So, so, so you get the athlete just to go. Uh, we'll do it real quick. So, okay. in the future, they know they're competing in a month. You have the athlete close their eyes and I talk to them and I bring them into that spot where they were successful in whatever that sport was. In the future. In the future. It could be even a test, a math test, yeah. and they're really nervous about it. And you have them being successful. They, they shared with me what success is to them. And you have them see what, what's going on, what they feel, what they hear, what they smell. Um, and then you bring them back up over their body, see what's happening. So they're hovering above, ho looking hovering, down. Hovering above, and then you bring them back in time. So all the little things that they had to do. So if it's a competition, they you know, have to eat properly, they have to sleep, get enough sleep, uh, all the training sessions they have to do, the physio, whatever it is, and you bring them all the way back into the now, present, plop them in, and their eyes open, and they're like, I know what to do. It's the coolest thing. So they're ready for it, yeah. They know exactly what they need to do in the next month to prepare for that match. Yeah. They sleep better, they make better choices because they know, hey, I need to eat this, or you know, they've talked. How long right does that visualization take? It, you can do it really fast, but if you but can really go into it, and it, I would say at least about a half an hour to go right minimum. through it, minimum to do it properly. As long as? Again, it depends on how long the athlete can handle it mentally. Yeah. It's you're visualizing and it might be too much. So if the first time you do it a little bit faster and the second time you can do it a little bit longer. Yeah. They get used to it because the first time they're like, okay, what am I doing here? But it basically sets them up that as the future has already happened. Yeah. So they're not nervous, they know what to expect, they know that they're gonna they're gonna perform their best at that on that day. It's just awesome. It's a simple yeah. little technique and it takes away a lot of Issues. Yeah. What um, what role did visualization play when you were playing competitively? Did you visualize at the beginning? Not too too much. Even yeah. my high school coach was bringing it in a little bit, but it was in the 
the start of the whole thing. Not, not that yeah. many people knew about it. And um, university a little bit, not that much, but really near the end of my career, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, in 2001, and I had only played, or only played another five years. I was on the national team for 14 years. I had no idea about all this stuff. Yeah. And it was because of Gina. Yeah. Got me in. Started that whole journey. Like, hey, there's more here. Yeah. There's, you know, obviously you got to be physically strong, but it's the mental side of it. Yeah. And you hear that 90% is mental, 10% physical. Yeah. And I think I had it flipped the other way around. Yeah. Which I um, think a lot of people. You do. met my wife Neela last summer. And yep. she does a lot of mindfulness and visualization. So she's yep. presented with Joey and I in Munich, Germany, and in Asheville, North Carolina. So she did this session on uh, visualization and sport mastery. And she shares the story of Michael Phelps in the Beijing Olympics. And for years and years and years, he was programmed from the time that he was 10 years old to visualize. And his mom sat him down and took him through these visualization exercises. So he had visualized every scenario in his head, you know, whether it be the goggles flipping off or whatever, but his coach would sit him down before the race and have him visualize the race itself. And, and he would pull, the coach would pull out the stopwatch and say, okay, ready, you're on the board, you're diving in, go. And he would time and not say anything. And then Michael Phelps, if it's 200 meter freestyle, would visualize every stroke, the turn, sure everything awesome. and then touch the wall and when yep. he touched the wall the coach would stop the time and it was always his time just around his personal best time so going through the visualization imagine that yeah where he's programmed awesome. out so in the beijing olympics i don't know if it was the what event it was but his goggles came off right and he had prepared for that moment and he just powered wow. through and he set the world record and he um truly believed that it was his visualization that allowed him. He was prepared for that moment of his goggles coming off, which some swimmers would just throw them right off, you know? But quite an amazing story and, and just shows, cool. like, speaks volumes for the power of visualization. Um, totally. So let's, awesome. let's transition over to tell everybody about CanFund because I think it's such an amazing initiative. So CanFund was started by Jane Roos, who's my She's right there. Talking She's to right shortly. There. Okay. Um, yeah. So we've raised over twenty-two million dollars, and we give this money directly to all our top athletes, so they can get six thousand dollars each, up to twice a year, so they can get twelve thousand dollars. And they use it for training, um, equipment, team fees. A lot of our athletes have to pay to be on the national team. A lot of people don't know that. Um, for equipment, they have to buy their own bike or to buy my own volleyballs. Didn't get any volleyballs given to me, so I can buy them my own volleyballs. So every sport's a little bit different. Um, and we help most of the athletes heading to the game. So we've helped around 80% of the athletes for the last number of Olympic games. So we help most of the athletes. Um, and so Canadians, we don't get any government funding. So it's proud Canadians, proud Canadian companies Love donate it. to us. Yeah. They get a tax receipt and they find out who they've helped then we give the money directly to the athletes in their name, they can control this money. One of the issues in the sports system is there's money there, but the athletes don't really have too much say on where that money goes and it's not used properly. So when we give the money to the athletes and say, hey, I need to eat better. 
I need to uh, organic food or whatever That's they great. decide on where it is. I think it's the most powerful way to use money Absolutely. and help our athletes. So it's cool. We've had cool stories where athletes, nobody knows who they are and they won a medal and yeah. thank Jane on national TV and yeah. so it's, it's neat. And uh, when I was here last summer, I remember seeing um, you had one initiative which was them doing artwork. Yes. Right? Yeah. Talk about that. Well, Jane can touch a little bit more on that because she's the artist, but it's yeah. basically asking our athletes that are that are artists or maybe even really aren't artists to do something yeah. and we'd auction them off and auction the art piece off and raise money for other athletes. Um, so Jane's done it with famous Canadians, so she's done a, an art piece, handed it over to Prime Minister Trudeau. He's written uh, 10 words to live by yeah. and he hand wrote on the painting and then we auctioned it off and we do that with a number of other like GSP um, uh, George St. Pierre yeah. our ultimate fighter yeah we, we love um, him Justin Trudeau yeah. but other <laughs> famous Canadians yeah. uh, are involved with it and then we auction off that art piece to raise more money yeah so that's one of the cool things so we, we're always trying to come up with creative ideas. I'm not saying we, Jane does all that. She yeah. comes up with all the ideas and I just uh, have to keep up with her. Yeah. Um, one of the things, you know, so what do you you find, like you personally, again, like our professional selves and our personal selves are, are intertwined, I believe, right? And a lot of people say professional and personal is separate, but I disagree. I think there, it's a journey. But if you were to kind of sum up um, what you feel is most rewarding with doing this work, well, because you've been on we both have sides. a live workspace, so we're like full on here. <laughs> we're <Yeah>. personal <laughs> work. I don't know. It's craziness here. Um, I just love to help people. I love to help people uh, do amazing things. That's it. And, you feel and our athletes are doing incredible things. They just need a little bit of help to make that happen. You feel a part of the journey though. Their yeah. journey. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to put you in the hot seat to conclude. Oh boy. Are you okay. ready for this? I have okay. No um, let me see here. Um, the, your greatest source of inspiration outside the world of sport. Whoa. Well, I, as soon as you said, I go back to Jane, my wife, um, she's gone through a lot. You'll learn a little bit about that, but um, living life in the moment, and that's one thing I've learned a lot from her. Is not looking too too far off in the future. You you have to do that, but you don't know what's going to happen in the future. So I have a lot of respect for her, and I love her, and um, she's an incredible lady. Wonderful way to end part one of. This episode is this like part ten? Oh, we're gonna do Jane. Yeah. Um, so, uh, any final words to the educators from around the world listening? Any advice? I I would just say keep it fun as much as possible. Um, meet the kids' needs. Find out what their needs are. It's so important. They'll love you for it. They'll learn more. And um, that's it. That's all I'm gonna say. Excellent. Cool. Thank you, my man. Thanks for coming all the way from China <laughs> yeah. to interview me. <laughs> yeah, <I love> <laughs> okay, thanks everybody for listening.
Thanks for listening to the Run Your Life podcast by Andy Bassett. To check out show notes, get some more information about Andy as well as his guests, head to our website, 21clradio.com.